0: coffee. Let's try again. Good morning, Crossroads. Happy Happy New Year, and welcome to our Sunday morning worship celebration where we love celebrating Jesus even more than we love watching those movies that they keep making about biblical stuff that has nothing to do with the Bible. Anyone seen that movie Exodus? No one? Okay, if you're if you're looking for biblical stuff, don't don't go see it. If you're looking for a really cool movie, though, uh, don't go see it. It's 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 not that cool. Um, they depict God as like this angry little child. Literally, at one point, it's a little child who's bawling up his fist, yelling, I want them on their knees. He's like an angry New Age Dennis the Menace. It's just not cool at all. But um, there is one point, spoiler alert, But if you are going to go see it, Uh, if you didn't know this, the reason, you know, how uh, the Nile ran, um, turned into blood and was all bloody in like the Ten Commandments Charlton Heston movie. Uh, In the Bible, it says God did it. In the movie, it was a crocodile feeding fest, which was pretty cool. That was the coolest part of the movie in my mind. It was like awesome. But in any case, um, yeah, if you kind of want to wait for it to hit Netflix or something like that and then check it out uh, then it might be worth it Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love Now here's this week's message Uh, uh, Two things really quick, I I want to highlight one is uh, a lot of people missing most of them stayed up late watching the Steelers game Uh, call them make sure they're okay I know some of them might be in mourning but make sure they're okay Uh, the other thing is really quickly okay Uh, yeah I know it makes it worse really quickly though somebody remind me before we leave can somebody get a picture of me and Asher with these shirts on because he's got the whole Batman thing going. I think that's just cool. Somebody remind me before we leave today. All right, uh, but I pray everyone had a happy new year and a very Merry Christmas. Everyone have a good new year? Doesn't sound like it. Okay. (laughs) All right, but um, I know I did, and uh, Christy and I just want to thank everyone for your cards, your gifts, your encouragement, all that stuff. I don't think you guys realize how much of a blessing that you guys are to us. But I do want to correct something, because for those of you who were here Christmas Eve, um, I was talking about the value and the importance of gift-giving, and I showed you guys this picture. I said, this is the gift I was going to get for my father-in-law for Christy's dad. And I said, it's an Amazon fire stick. Anyone seen those, advertised note there? Okay, yeah, and I said that, you know, one of the important things about giving gifts, if you nail these three things, you're you're golden, you're, you're solid. First, a gift of value, not cheap, doesn't have to be expensive, not cheap, can be inexpensive, but something that's, you know, of, of value that they'll value as well. Uh, second thing was that it should be identifiable. Like, and I said, he's going to look at this and know of everyone in the family, this definitely comes from Floyd, you know, Obviously, uh, And the third thing was that um, it needs to be something that the person can share. If it's something they can wear, that's great. If it's something they can share and have other people enjoy as well, you're golden. Uh, unfortunately, I was a little bit wrong I was kind of like a little bit pregnant, but I was a little bit wrong <laughs> because you know, I was watching as everyone was open gifts, and I was watching him waiting for him to open, like, I didn't even open my stuff. I was just watching for him to open this gift, and he finally pulled it out, because I didn't wrap it. It was, like, in a bag. I don't do the wrapping thing, but he pulled it out, and he was like, wow, thank you, Desiree, his daughter. <laughs> and I'm like, are you kidding me? And, I was, and Christy was like, no, that's from Floyd. And he's like, oh, well, Desiree, his daughter, was handing out the gifts. So she handed it to him, so he thought, oh, this is from Desiree. So I was only a little bit, wrong. If it hadn't been for that, um, I would have been right on. But this morning, I'm really excited about what we're going to talk about this morning and where we're going because it's going to help set the trajectory for um, 2015. And this is not originally a topic that I wanted. I had something all different planned uh, for not only this morning, but for the next couple of weeks and months. And God totally scrapped that and said, go in this direction. Now, um, how many of you guys have seen or heard talk about the movie called The Interview. Yeah. Uh, oh, most of you guys. Good, good. Because uh, let me say this first and foremost, okay? Not my type of movie. Um, it's a comedy. It's I'm, I'm not big fans of, like, the actors that are in it. I mean, like, they're okay. I can take it or leave it, but I don't rush out saying, oh, they're in this movie. I got to go see it. Uh, not a big fan of it. For those who haven't heard, it's, you know, this movie that they made about, like, assassinating the leader of North Korea, and I guess... Because they made the movie, they got before they released it, they got threats, don't make it, don't make it. And then Sony, who's behind it, got hacked and all this stuff. And the U.S. said, yeah, it's got to be North Korea and all this, you know, hype. And um, believe it or not, I think I saw something online where they said, hey, they have made this one of the most wanted-to-see movies of, like, the year because of all the hype around it. Now, um, the idea is, other than the assassination part, the idea is basically these two guys get to go and interview the leader of North Korea. They get to go and talk to uh, um, one of the most influential, maybe not worldwide, but in his nation. There's a whole nation. There is no, like, posts on people's Facebook about down with him, or how he sucks, or can't wait till he's out of office. That doesn't happen in North Korea, all right? Uh, He's one of the most feared, also, and He's in charge of a whole nation, so he's kind of pretty powerful, but he's also one of the people that, outside of his nation, most people don't know too much about him, other than what he wants them to know. So these guys get an interview where they get to go, and they sit down and talk to him. So this brought up the question of, what would you do if you had the opportunity to go talk to, not him, but to sit down and have a conversation one-on-one with God. Now, how many of you guys watch that show, like, was it, What Would You Do? Well, they put you in situations, and they say, what would you do, and all that stuff, and in the, in the public. And, and I was thinking, I was like, wow, what would I do if God came, sat down in front of me, and said, Floyd, let's talk. Now, let me make clear, though, I'm not talking about prayer. Right. That's 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 different because when you pray, you're praying to God and sometimes you get responses and usually you get one of three responses. Depending upon what you're praying about, sometimes you just get an outright yes, but it may not be a verbal yes. Have you anyone ever prayed for something and then within days, minutes, weeks, hours, whatever, you get what you prayed for. And it's not like God said yes. It's just, it's like the parent when you talk to your parents and when you were kids and talking to your parents and you're like, can I have this or can I have that? Or you come out, you come in from playing and you guys don't do this now. Neither do your kids. Nobody plays outside anymore. But when you come out in, into the house from playing outside and you're like, I'm starving. What's for lunch? And they just set the plate in front of you. They don't say yes. You just happen to come in right at the right time. They've been holding it for you. They set it in front of you, set a drink in front of you. And, and it's there. What you weren't asking for right there. No response. Yes. Sometimes, though, you pray for stuff, and it takes a while, right, before you get your yes. But sometimes you pray for stuff, and instead of a yes, you get like a wait. And I don't mean it takes a while. I mean it takes like years. And I've I've talked to people who have been praying for their family or their friends to come into a relationship with God, or people who have been praying for jobs, and they've been waiting for years. And because in a certain situation, I won't tell any names, it's just one guy, because of a certain situation, because the economy got so bad, he was put into a position that he wasn't super qualified for, but he was a perfect fit for. But it took a long time for the company to get so desperate to say, yes, we'll take you at a lower pay. And it worked out both because he was a perfect fit for the job and the job was a perfect fit for him. That would not have happened but he had to wait. If he had just gotten another job, it probably wouldn't have worked out as well. But sometimes also, instead of no or wait, God says, I have something better for you. And I love it when he does that, because I've prayed for things like, God, I want A, B, and C. I want it in this order. I want it lined up. I want it this color. I mean, I want, here's what I want. And then God responds with something better than what I was praying for or what I asked for. All right? So, just to be clear, um, I'm not talking about prayer. This is this is totally different. Uh, this is not, hey, someone sitting down and praying. This is you sitting down. God showing up visibly in front of you, sitting down across from you, and you get to ask him questions, and he responds verbally. Here's the response, even if it's a response that you don't like. Now, just, just by show of hands, how many people would actually, you know, I've got stuff in my head. I already know what I would ask Ask God. Okay. Okay. At first I was going to say, you're all lying because you know you have stuff like I would ask. Like how many people would ask God, God? So much violence in the world. How many people would ask God, you know, what's going on with that? Yeah. I, I mean, that's one of the, you cannot, what about all the, the like there's hatred and, and all the stuff that's going on? Now, how many people would ask God for something? It's not like, hey, God, I have a question, but God, I want to ask you for something, okay? How many people would ask God, anyone but the Ravens for the Super Bowl, okay? All right, I'm going to stop. That's my last one. That is my last one, okay? But here's the thing. Uh, this 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 is really cool because imagine just sitting down in front of God. And God's speaking to you and answering your questions, even if they're ones you don't like. Now, here's the thing. I've heard people say, and maybe you have too, that if God answers you verbally, then you're in trouble. Has anyone ever heard that, that God usually doesn't answer verbally? If he does, it—and I'm like, that makes no sense. First of all, it's not biblical because throughout the Bible, there are people that God spoke to verbally, not because they were in trouble with him, like they did something wrong, but he spoke them to them to help them with their trouble. I mean, he spoke to Adam— Granted, Adam did get in trouble later, but he spoke to Adam before he was in trouble. I mean, think about your parents. If the only time they spoke to you was when you were in trouble, like some of the goody-two-shoes people, they, they'd never hear from their parents, all right? Other ones who were like me, every single day, all day long, you'd hear from them. But that's not the God of the Bible, all right? God spoke to Moses. He spoke to Hagar, um, who was Abraham's baby mama, for lack of a better term. But he spoke to her, not because she was in trouble, but because she needed to hear from God because of her trouble. And God spoke to the prophets and all kinds of people. Now, when God spoke to the prophets, it was usually God would speak to the prophet, and then the prophet would go out and tell everyone, thus saith the Lord, right? But in the book that we're about to look at, it's God speaking not to the prophet and saying, thus go tell everyone, thus saith the Lord. It's the prophet saying, God, why this and why that? And then God responding verbally to him. Now, if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Habakkuk, which is kind of towards the end of the Old Testament. And if you don't have a Bible, it's... um, what should be one under your chair in front of you, left, right or you, or pull out your tablet or, or whatever you're going to uh, follow along on. And I want you guys to follow along on this because this is probably one of the most, in my opinion, and I say this about a lot of the books, but one of the most awesome books of the Bible because we get to see the conversation that this man had with God. And most of the other books of the Bible, we don't get to see the back and forth we just get to hear what they say, thus saith the Lord, the, that God said. So um, turn to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, and depending on how you're brought up, what church background or no background, some people pronounce it Habakkuk. Some people pronounce it Habakkuk. I want to call him Habby just for short, just to keep it, but we're going to go with Habakkuk, whatever you feel like pronouncing his name uh, that works for you. Uh, just go with that, all right? So in verse 1 of the book of Habakkuk, Verse 1, it says, the oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet, received. Now, oracle literally means the burden, depending on what version Bible. Some of them may see the, the prophecy or, or whatever, but oracle literally means a burden that he received. So he wasn't just talking to God about like, you know, I'd like a new donkey, uh, maybe a shorter one, some kind of a shorter guy or something like that. He was talking weighing, weighty issues, discussing them with God, things that were heavy and laying on his heart. Verse two, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Now, where he says the law is paralyzed, it's it's most theologians say it's, it's a reference to both. The law, meaning, you know, the, the legal system, is useless because there's so much violence, so much wrongdoing. It's like there is no legal system, and the law, the biblical law that they were supposed to follow is useless because people are doing so much vile and destructive and, and, and so much hate towards one another that you might as well not have a Ten Commandments or the rest of the law. And so he's looking at some of the stuff uh, that we look at today. And if you didn't, if you didn't know this was in the Bible, you could literally open like any newspaper And this would read like someone in an editorial making an editorial. Why do we see so much destruction, so much terrorism, so much hatred, so much fighting between people, so much disrespect for authority, so much overuse of authority? Everything that he's talking about is the same stuff that we see going on today. And it it, it boggles my mind when I see people that say, hey, the Bible isn't relevant, yet 90% of what it speaks about, if you take out donkeys and, you know, plowing for wheat, although that, depending on what area you're in, 90% of it is about people going through stuff and saying, where are you, God? Or people going through stuff and God showing up and saying, here I am. And the same is true today. The same things that people went through then are the same type of things that we see now. If you were to read what we just read, you, you could picture someone either writing it or a guy sitting on CNN or Fox or whatever news you watch and having a conversation with God, probably Fox, they wouldn't allow it on CNN. I'm just kidding. But having a conversation with God and saying, hey God, so why all this violence? Why all destruction? People keep crying out to you and you're not answering. What's going on with that? And that's, that's pretty much what he says. Now, Our nation has been rocked over the last probably six months with screams of just that, violence and injustice, riots and this, that, and the other. People who look at um, the law and say, hey, you guys are overstepping your bounds, and people on the side of the law looking and saying, you have no idea. Every time we walk into a situation, our life is threatened. We have to be ready to respond, and it doesn't matter what your thinking is Everyone in our nation has taken a side that makes them look at the other and say, you're wrong, I don't trust you. And this is what he's screaming about. People in our nation look at our government and say, hey, we can't trust you. People in our government look at the people and say, hey, we can't trust you. People in the churches look at people outside of the church and say, we can't trust you. And people outside of the church literally look at people in the church and say, We can't trust you. That's today. And that's what he was saying God, what are you gonna do about that? Drop down to verse five. And this is the cool part. If you have one of the Bibles that has little notes in it, uh, it might have a title that says, The Lord's Answer, because this is how God responds to him. Verse five Look at the nations and watch, and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry calv- Gallops headlong, their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture, sweeping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own strength. Is there God? Now, all that just to say this, and, and, and some people disagree and some people agree. Like, God pretty much says, hey, uh, the, the state of violence and injustice and wrongdoing that is going on in Israel is to such a level that I can't stop this piece or that piece or that piece. The whole thing has to be wiped out like a cancer. That's, that's the only thing God says that I can do, and I am raising up a nation that's going to do that. Now, just a little, a little history with, bear with me for a minute. Um, in 612 B.C., he says, I'm raising up the Babylon. Some of your Bibles might say the Chaldeans. That's the Bab- Babylonian Empire. 612 B.C., Babylon took their first steps at becoming a world power, okay? Uh, they were just like a little nation of, of armies and fighters and, like, I don't know. People that run around and rob and steal and do all that stuff. But then they kind of got organized, and then they kind of got stronger, and then they kind of got structured, but they still had that violent streak in them. And then they took down uh, the, the, I forget who was in charge at that time, the Assyrians. They took out the Assyrians, and they became the world-dominating power at that time. And God says, yeah, I allowed that to happen, and then Uh, most theologians agree that somewhere between this, the interview, this conversation between God and Habakkuk, that uh, Habakkuk came somewhere 608, 607, 606 BC. Now, shortly after this, around 605 BC, the Babylonians came against Jerusalem, and they came against the nation of Israel, and they kind of put it under siege for a couple of years, and they, they they overtook it but they didn't destroy it and they took many of the people back to Babylon and if you read through the book of Daniel that's about the, all of the Israelites being exported but then after that one of the kings of Israel kind of got bold and said we don't have to put up with this you know we're not going to be some territory of yours we're going to rise up against you and defy you and then in 586 B.C. Jerusalem just came in and destroyed Jerusalem. I mean, the Babylonians came in and destroyed Jerusalem and just crushed everyone. It was one of the most brutal things, and I won't go into detail. If you read some of the prophets, they talk about the level of brutality that was used when they came in and the Babylonians destroyed um, Israel. So God's answer to Habakkuk, Habakkuk is like, hey, there's a lot of violence, there's a lot of injustice. Just like we see today, a lot of things going on that, God, where are you? We keep crying out, where are you? And God's response, and it's important, he says, he doesn't say I'm going to do this today, tomorrow, but he says, I am working on this, and this is the response we never like to hear from God. He says, it's going to take some time. How many of us like it when God says, just pause, it's going to take some time? Yeah, not many people want to hear that. We don't want to hear it from our parents, we don't want to hear it from our spouses, Definitely don't want to hear it from God. But this is the response that He gives. Now, it frustrates me. This is me personally. Let me let me step back. I'm not saying this as a as, as this is a pastoral biblical position, although it somewhat is. And I'll show you that in a minute. But it frustrates me when I hear people say, um, well, this is gonna be my year, and God's gonna do this, this, and this for me. God's gonna get me out of debt, God's gonna get me a job. And and it's not that God can't do that, but We don't have the right to proclaim, here is what God is going to do, unless it's something that God says in his word, here is what God is going to do. Now, we can boast all day long, here's what God has done in my life. We can boast about it. We can tweet about it. You know, we can send text and put our Facebook status, here's what God has done. You can have minstrels write songs about it and sing about it. That's great. Here's what God has done in my life. But if God hasn't done it and it's not in His Word, we don't have the authority or the right to say, here's what God's going to do, and He's going to do it this year, and He's going to do it this month, and it's going to happen. Because if it doesn't happen, then you just said God lied. You just put God in a position of doing something He said He wasn't going to do. And when it doesn't come to fruition, other people look at you and say, well, did God lie? Or did you lie? The sad part is most of us aren't going to say, that was me, I lied. We're going to come up with some excuse. Now, here's here's what James, the brother of Jesus, says about it. He says this in the book of James, chapter 4. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life, for you are a That appears for a little time and then vanishes. If you like stretch out and draw a line at the beginning of time to whenever the end of time is, okay, however many, however much time that is, however many tens of millions or thousands of years, however long until time ends, whenever God decides to let that happen, and you put your life in there, it's like a little dot. So your 20 years, 40 years, 60 years, 80 years, if you live 105 years, whatever, uh, is a little dot in the span of time. And yes, God can and will and has done things in our lives to bless us, to heal us, uh, to financially secure us. If you've had God do anything in your life, just raise your hand. Anything positive God has done, amen. But then we don't have the right to say God's going to do such and such. Because God's not guaranteed to do that again. And this is what James says. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. If it's evil for me to say, here's what I'm going to do, and I don't know if God's going to allow me to do it, how much more wrong is it to say, here's what God's going to do, but yet he hasn't said that's what he's going to do. So, let me jump back. So, God tells Habakkuk that it's going to take some time. Drop down to verse 12. Now, again, if you have a title in your Bible, here's his second complaint. Here's his second question that he asks to God. He says, verse 12, O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them, meaning the Babylonians, to execute judgment. O rock, meaning God, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Now he's referring both to the Babylonians, but he's also referring over the length of time, there's going to be more people that do more treacherous things while you wait to work with these evil people that you're going to use to have your will done. And he says, Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. And he's talking about, now he's talking about the Babylonians. He says, These guys, you have admitted, these guys are mean, they're cruel, and they're wicked. And they're going to come and they're going to stomp all of us. And here's the cool thing. Not cool because it's, it's bad that this is going to happen to them. He says, therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet, For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercies? Basically saying this. You're saying you're going to use these. We've got so much wickedness going on. You're going to use these wicked people. And guess what? When they're done with us, they're not going to say praise the Lord. They're going to thank themselves and say, how cool are we? How big are we? How bad are we? Let's go out and do more killing and more looting and more destroying and take over more nations. And this is what he ends this portion with. He says in the chapter 2, verse 1, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Now, uh, he's basically saying this. He says that, hey, I am, I am, I hear you, God. You, you say you're going to take care of this, but I'm in awe because you're going to use these evil people and you say that they're going to crush these evil people and you're going to use injustice to wipe away injustice. You're going to use wickedness to wipe, away, to wipe away wickedness and these wicked people are just going to say, how cool are we that we're so wicked? They're not going to give you any praise. They're not going to give you any glory. And I love, I love God's answer. Then the Lord Lord replied, verse 2, then the Lord replied, and this is awesome, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. This is awesome. He's asking all these questions, uh, and this is what God says to him. This is God's response. I am going to do exactly what I said I would do. And a lot of times, this is, where, this, is where, this is where we get caught up. Because God says, hey, we look today and we say, look at all the violence, look at all the injustice, look at all the hatred, look at all the racism, look at all the, the rioting, look at all the, all of this stuff is going on. God, what are you going to do? And God says, hey, if God were to tell us, here's how I'm going to solve that problem, here's how I'm going to solve that problem, here's how I'm going to solve that problem, we would want to argue with God, but what about this, but what about that? God says, you don't worry about how I'm going to do it, you just have to trust I am going to do exactly what I said I was going to do. Now, here's the question for us, the question for us, those people who say, well, I trust you, God, I believe you, God. The real question is, will we believe him and trust what he says in his word? Because I got to be honest, I really don't care how God takes care of whatever he's going to take care of. What I really care about, God, just do what you said you were going to do. God, just be the God of justice, the God of love, the God of mercy that you said that you're going to be. And it's hard for us because we want to know the details. We want to know how God does this. We want to know how God does that. And God just says one thing, hey, here's what you need to do. And we would be in such a different place if we, not we in this room, we, the church, and you've heard me say this before, if we would just obey God and trust that he is going to do what he's going to do. Now, here's what he told um, the nation of Israel as he was bringing them, after he brought them out of the desert, as he was bringing them into position in the land of Israel. In the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 28, this is what it says, if you fully, this is Moses talking to uh, not the Israelites that came out of Egypt. Those ones died in the desert. He is talking to a new generation that is getting ready to partake on a new journey. They're no longer going to be wandering in the desert. Now they're going to take hold of what God has promised. And here is what Moses tells them He says, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands, I give you today. The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. And we look around today and we say, well, we don't see the church, because now he would be talking to the church. In this place of prominence on the earth, it's actually in this place of like way down on the scale. I mean, if you had to look, there's like sports, musicians, newscasters, celebrity chefs, Honey boo boo, and then the church. I mean, seriously, that's the way our culture looks at the church. But what God says that if the church, not just us in this room, the people of God, if we would fully obey all his commandments, then he would set us high above all the nations on the earth. Verse 2, all these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. And this is where we in the church, we've got to be obedient to what God says. It's not our job to worry about how God is going to handle all the injustice, all the riots, all the things that we see today. It's our God to be obedient to what he says, and then he upholds his word of going to take care of all that. He says, you'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. Now, I don't think this is personally a distinction between city mouse, country mouse, I think it's more of regardless of where you live, whether it's an urban environment, whether it's a rural environment, whether it's downtown Pittsburgh, downtown Chicago, uh, whether it's the hills of North Dakota, well, it's actually flat out there, or the hills of Pittsburgh, wherever you are, God says, I will do and bless you. I'll do everything I said I was gonna do in verse four. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land. And there's no one that can deny that today we have generations of people that are farther farther away from god than the generations that came before us and it's not like there's a government program a social program that's going to reach them they need god-sized intervention in their lives. And you know, my kids are grown. I pray for them every day that they would fall madly in love with Jesus because there is nothing else on this planet that can help them or save them or reach them like the love of Christ. And there's, I, you don't have to raise your hand, but all of us would love, now we're not sharecroppers, but we would love the, the crops of our land or the whatever we put our hands to, wherever we work, for that to be a blessed environment Not just to get money from where we work, and you don't have to raise your hand, but uh, some of us, not me, but some of us could walk, we'd rather walk into a work environment that's a lot more positive than the one we work in now. And you don't have to raise your hand. I see your Facebook post, so I know. But there are people that, hey, not where you go to work is not a happy, joy, joy situation. But it could be, and God can bless it. But he asks that we obey him. Well, let me let me wind this up with this. Then verse nine, he says, "The Lord will establish you as His holy people, as He promised you on oath, if you keep the commands of the Lord your God, and walk in obedience to Him." This is what the church has to do. And as we go into we're going into the the end of the year, last year, two thousand fourteen. One of the things that I said, hey, I'm gonna focus on. Sorry, I keep hitting my mic. I'm gonna focus on doing is getting people back to church. Because I know lots of people who, yes, I'm a Christ follower, but I don't go to church. I worship at home. I haven't found a church. I would rather help you find a church, even if it's not here, than see you sitting at home apart from the body of Christ. I would rather you be in fellowship with people that can be there for you, love on you, pray for you, and pray with you, than have you sitting at home uh, just, you know, watching something on TV and then sitting there alone. I would much rather have your kids here running around, um, especially if they're in Batman gear and I can take pictures with them, running around as opposed to them sitting at home sleeping or doing nothing. One of the things just for me personally that I said I'm going to do is is encourage people, find a church. If you walk into a church and you say, you know, hey, it's not perfect, it's not going to be made more perfect by you showing up. If there's something they don't have that you wish they had, talk to someone and see if you can help make it happen. I don't know a pastor worth his salt that if someone came up and said, hey, I notice you don't have a blank. I have a little bit of experience in blank. Maybe I can help out with blank. And they say, sorry, we're full. That's not going to happen. And if it does, go down the street to the next one. Because somewhere there are churches that need everywhere. There are churches that need people. The church isn't the building. It's the body of Christ coming together. And if we would obey the Lord our God and come together as a church, it's not going to be the government that makes a difference in our nation. It's not going to be some program. It's not going to be a political party. It's going to be God working through the church to make the world a better place. Now, here's the cool thing. I'm going to ask the band to come up because... God then responds to Habakkuk and he tells him, hey, you know what? I know you're kind of concerned about, whoops, there goes the plant. I know you're concerned about all of the things that are these wicked, you know, Babylonians are going to do. And he literally tells him, woe to, he's keeping his word, people who do this, people who do that. And he gives them all kind of woes. And if you read through the other prophets, they talk about the fact that God then raised up another nation to smush and crush the Babylonians for their violence, for their wickedness, and for their injustice. But the really cool thing, and I'm going to close on this note, really cool thing is Habakkuk then closes with a song of prayer. And this is the Amplified Version, uh, Habakkuk chapter three, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet set to wild, enthusiastic, and triumphal music. Oh Lord, I have heard the report of you and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make yourself known in wrath. Earnestly remember love, pity, and mercy. He closes after his interview with God by saying, God. Now I know you. And if you read the book of Job, one of the things that Job says at the end is, God, now I haven't physically seen you, but just hearing your voice speak to me out of the cloud. Now I've seen you. I know you better. I know you more than I ever could before because you have revealed yourself to me. And I love that Habakkuk closes with this song of prayer and praise saying, hey God, I may not like the answers, I may not understand all the answers, but I know that you're a God that I can believe will do exactly what you said you're going to do. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand I'm going to close in prayer and then we're going to sing a song. God, we just thank you so much for revealing yourself to us. We pray that you would Open our hearts so that we would be obedient to your word. And we pray that you would remove any doubt we have that you are able to do what you say in your word that you're going to do. We pray that as we leave here today, we leave here knowing that we have a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or imagine or that our minds can grasp. And that we set our hearts on living our lives for you. That this year, we set our hearts on living our lives for you. God, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us, not just in this place, in our homes, in our schools, and our workplaces. So that we can live our lives for you in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces. And so that you can change.